Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 3. My name is Bradley Medrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. We've got a fantastic show for you today and some really interesting news of the week. Before we get into that, two topics. First of all, Project Voice 2023. We've now hit February. The promotion is in full tilt. 2,500 or so attendees will be there, 100 plus media outlets. The world of conversational AI is the subhead for the event, and it's very appropriate. Check it out, projectvoice.ai. If you're listening to this on a podcast provider, you'll see the link in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see it in the uh, description. Check it out. Second, mark your calendar for February 21st. We'll be doing a webinar on behalf of Project Voice Capital Partners that will be speaking to how we put together the conversational AI industry landscape map, as well as Adam Chire's remarks on the impact of ChatGPT. You will not want to miss that. It's, as always, free, um, and the recording is uh, made available to everyone who registers. Uh, we anticipate the registration for that going online, if not this afternoon, uh, tomorrow. So with that, let's check out who we've got on the show. And Mark, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are. Tell us about the Speech Accessibility Project. Well, thank you. Um, my name is Mark Kasagawa-Johnson. I'm a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Illinois, and I'm a PI of the Speech Accessibility Project. Um, the, the goal of the Speech Accessibility Project is pretty much encapsulated in the name. We we believe that the tech, that uh, voice technology has advanced to the point where we um, where it doesn't make sense anymore to leave out people who have Parkinson's disease or ALS or other disorders that affect their that, that affect their speech. Uh, we believe that the only thing preventing um, preventing us making uh, speech recognition technology available to everybody is the lack of well curated data sets, and so we're setting out to create a well curated data set. Um, we're working really closely with advocacy organizations with the Davis Finney Foundation and the Lee Silverman Voice Therapy and with Team Gleason for ALS. Um, and um, we're in the, in the process of reaching out to other advocacy organizations basically to better, first of all, to understand exactly what will make a difference in the, in the lives of people who have the, these disorders. And second, to, to make sure that we can actually record enough data that it will make a difference um, in the technology. Our goal is to collect um, a corpus of a total of 1.2 million utterances from um, from uh, from 2,000 different people um, over the course of the next two years. Um, we're starting out with Parkinson's disease. We'll be uh, uh, starting to re uh, recruit people with Parkinson's disease in March. We'll be recruiting people with ALS starting probably in September. Um, they will be, they'll be given a prompt online. They'll read that prompt or they'll respond to that prompt with spontaneous speech. Uh, linguists here at the university will be curating what they say and making sure that um, what they say matches the text they were given and editing the text they were given if, if not. Um, and then we'll be making that available via a data use agreement that basically asks researchers to not re-identify the participants and to keep the data securely while they're doing the research. Um, our goal really is to... Um, is to make it not the case anymore that people with Parkinson's disease, ALS, or other disorders are unable to use speech technology. We want to make it possible for developers and researchers to create accessible speech technology. Hey, what you're doing is super cool, and we're so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. Next up, we got Micah Coppins from Open Dialogue. Micah, say hello. 
Hello, everyone, uh, and uh, thank you, Bradley, for having uh, us here at This Week in Voice. Uh, always uh, very happy to listen to your podcast, but uh, now also to be on it. Um, so my name is Micah Coppens. As you said, I am the VP of Design at Open Dialogue. Uh, Open Dialogue is a conversation AI software platform uh, and what that really means is that we use artificial intelligence to create sophisticated human-like chatbots and virtual assistants that enable our customers to automate their complex business processes. Um, and what makes Open Dialogue um, so unique is that we um, take particular attention in setting up the chatbots and virtual assistants in a way that take into account context a lot more. Uh, and so I'm really excited to talk um, about uh, all of the wonderful stories you have lined up uh, today uh, and see how uh, we can uh, explore those topics a bit more. Uh, and I was also very uh, enthusiastic to hear about the speech accessibility work that you are doing, uh, Mark. I think uh, that uh, it is the right moment. If, if not, it, it should have been already uh, ongoing for, for a while. So really appreciative uh, of that as well. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for making the time. Next up, we've got Jay Ruperl of Voiceplug. Jay, say hello. Thank you, Bradley. Uh, glad to be on, on the show and uh, glad to meet uh, fellow participants here. Uh, my name is Jay Ruperl. Uh, I am a tech entrepreneur for more than 20 years. Um, currently serve as the co-founder and uh, CEO of Voiceplug. Uh, Voiceplug was uh, created with the mission to solve some of the biggest problems that businesses face using voice and conversational AI. And um, currently we are focused on solving one of the biggest pain areas in the restaurant and hospitality space, uh, which is labor. And uh, this includes uh, labor availability, labor costs, uh, motivation, attrition, and so on. And we are doing this by automating the front of house interactions and transactions using voice AI. Uh, really looking forward to the conversation uh, interaction today. Jay, thank you for uh, joining us. Thanks for making the time. Next thank up, you. Amit Ben of One AI. Amit, say hello. Hi. Nice to meet you, everyone. Glad to be here. Uh, so quickly, uh, Amit Ben, CEO and founder of OneAI, uh, entrepreneur and engineer and a reluctant data scientist in the sense that I had to learn data science to make uh, the products and the capabilities that engineering wouldn't allow me to build. And over the years, I became enthralled uh, in data science and language AI to the point when it became an obsession. And this is my third company in which uh, language AI is the center and the heart of everything. Specifically in one AI, our, uh, I would say we're bringing generative AI and language AI to businesses and products as a service. So anybody and anyone can plug language AI and the state of the art generative AI into their products, into their offering, without knowing how it works. We have prepackaged capabilities with state-of-the-art capabilities, where it's that simple to fine-tune 
improve, customize, and deploy within minutes to production. The way we see it, language AI uh, is the most important fundamental technology out there to build a communication layer between people and machines. And our vision is to disseminate language AI to the point where it's integral and natural in everyday life, every product, every interaction, every extension, every tool, utility, and so on. And the way that we do it is by empowering the builders, the developers, the product companies with product-ready language AI and generative AI skills, where they're trained to the point where they're uh, highly accurate, highly efficient, and pre-deployed in a high-performance, high-availability environment. So very easy to pick it up and go. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, taking a look at the site and just getting familiar with what y'all do, it's uh, it's really good. Uh, it's impressive what you built. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Next up, Greg Whiteside of Human First. Greg, say hello. Tell us about Human First. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm Gregory Whiteside. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Human First. Uh, so Human First is uh, tooling for NLU design. And what that means is we allow teams to build very custom, high-quality NLU data sets from their raw, unstructured data. So teams can take their natural language data from any channel, for example, call center logs, live chat logs, uh, voice uh, bot interactions, et cetera, and uh, in a bottom-up way, build a extremely curated taxonomy of intents and entities uh, that maps to their business and to their customers' conversations. Um, so yeah, we're helping uh, large enterprise customers uh, power applications uh, with NLU across a lot of use cases, uh, of course, virtual agents and chatbots, uh, but also improve their IVRs, uh, improve their contact center AI with things like analytics, agent augmentation, and also analyze uh, voice of the customer data and extract product or operational insights. We're extremely excited by what's going on with everything in generative AI because uh, NLG is really just unstructured natural language data, and we preserve, We believe that the observability problem, which is letting teams uh, monitor the output of uh, generative models at scale, will become increasingly important, and that's exactly the type of capabilities that our tooling provides. Uh, we're a self-serve product, so you can think of it really like Excel, but focused and specialized for NLU data. Yeah, no, it's great. And uh, similar to, to, well, actually similar to everybody on this show, but in particular, One AI with Amit just talking, you know, y'all do a really good job of, obviously technology is good, but just telling the story around what you're doing uh, and why. Uh, thank you for being part of the show with us. So with that, we're going to get to the news. And I'm going to read the headline from story number one. This is a uh, huge shock from voicebot.ai. Google shows off new text-to-music AI composer, Music LM. So uh, we've got three stories we're going to cover. Uh, for the first one, we're going to go through the same order as the introductions, and then from that point forward, we'll rotate them. <clears throat> really interesting article, uh, really really interesting technology, and, and um, the VoiceBot article included you know, some of the audio clips, uh, but uh, just as quickly as ChatGPT showed up, uh, we're starting to see um, equally interesting and equally useful technologies kind of surface. And Mark, I'm going to start with you. Um, broadly, 
your response to this article, your thoughts as you uh, read it, and just the idea of being able to generate music from text? Sure, thanks. Um, there are a lot of things that could be said about this article and a lot of things that we probably should talk about, but I wanna start with what I thought was the, the most overwhelmingly positive um, point that I took away from it, which is that um, I think I hadn't really realized before I read this article how much um, large language models are creative tools. They are um, tools for creating content, for creating text content, or in this case, music content or or image content. And um, and I I love the, the, the this this metaphor occurred to me while I was reading it that you know the electric guitar was was invented in 1930 and 1931 and was was basically um, a, a tool for hacks for people who were not real musicians if they if they weren't a real musician they couldn't play a real guitar they took home this little device that they could play around with at home and it seemed and um, it took people like Chuck Berry to say no this takes you know traditional this this takes rhythm and blues and this takes it to a whole new level we can make a whole new kind of music with it and then it took people like Jimi Hendrix to say no we can make things with this that have never been created before and i think we're at the point right now with large language models between the invention of the electric guitar and Chuck Berry we're at that point where people are saying you know oh yeah you can amplify everything you create can be amplified by the entire internet you can come up with some idea and you can then take that idea and generate um, music from it by downloading samples from the entire internet and, and piecing together notes from many different songs. Um, and, and in that way, you can take your idea and make it much, much bigger than it was. And somehow we've we've um, we've imagined that the, the end the end user of, of these technologies are people who can't write or create music for themselves. And therefore, they're, they're going to use these large language models to do it for them. And I think um, what what the the you know i love this piece because it kind of really focuses in on that analogy it says you know here's a way to generate music if you can't already generate music but i don't know why it has to be that way why can't we get real artists involved in taking these technologies and making completely new art forms that we've never seen before um so i'm hoping to see that come out of this in the long run no i think that's great um and uh you know we we slander things we don't understand you know the slander is coming at this thing from every which away and it's always for the same reason we don't understand it and uh we 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 mock things like that and it's i think it's a great way to start the conversation for you to point that out we'll go through everybody and get everybody's reaction and sort of open the floor mike i'm going to go to you uh your comments on this article um so there were a few things in what mark said that i found to be very interesting um which is around the creative power around the fact that we're we're kind of focusing in in on people that aren't currently not able to create music let's say um and that why couldn't it be artists etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that's very interesting because i actually also kind of um support the fact that people that don't uh, have the kind of background or education to create music because it is an art and it is a craft and it takes hours and hours <laughs> of um, training to be actually to be able to do something useful with music or at least it used to right um I mean I I personally remember sitting through years and years of music school in the vain hope of to be able to create some music pieces one day. Um, uh, and uh, I think that's really interesting. And I think with generative AI as, as a whole, I think one of the um, interesting things that it does bring is that 
capability to um, create quicker, um, to accelerate and enhance um, ideas that you have, um, also to broaden up the scope, right? And I, I see this particularly um, with a bit of a design lens um, where um, we have this um, concept of design thinking, right? Where you have one idea and then everyone tells you, yeah, but just one idea is not enough. You have to broaden it up. You have to like get inspiration. You have to listen to other people. And that is true because everyone brings its little stone to the actual um, final concept that 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 makes it, right? And so I think generative AI gives us that that possibility to explore new things, to go beyond uh, initial ideas, um, and and I think and I think it's it's true for for music as well, right? It's going beyond the first thing that you've composed, beyond the first thing you've thought of. But then I also see like the playfulness in it at at the same time. Because looking at at children, for example, that that run around and that would like to make up a song that talks about this or this thing, um, and the fact that you open it up, that this possibility for now exists for them as well to say, oh well, if I want to create a song, I can uh, actually use a generative AI to to do so, and it doesn't take away the fact that a machine um kind of enhances the idea or actually generates the the outcome uh doesn't take away from the initial intent of what you wanted to do it can make it better or you can actually decide that nah this is not what i wanted and just ignore it um so i think there's a lot of positives there um as well i think uh, it it kind of enhances human creativity if it is used together, right? Because the the other flip side of the coin, obviously, is that is that is by its nature, generative AI is generating content on the probabilistic statistic that it is most likely to follow this specific sequence. And the fact that it is also trained on past data sets means that it's essentially in and of itself not creative in the way that we think about creativity uh, usually. Yes, it generates content and as such it can be seen as creating things, but it is not creative in the sense of artistically creative um, and bringing new ideas. It's kind of regenerating all old ideas and then predicting what can be next. So I think that's kind of why it's nice to have both things working together. I think it's a great enabler and especially for music. I have some questions specifically around the fact that they haven't opened it up because of possible copyright infringements and what that entails. Uh, but as you said, Bradley, like there's pros and cons and 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 I think um, it's a, a good is it's an enormous chance to be able to take this uh, and look at the pros and then also look at the cons and try to do better. Well, in the words of Bono, every artist is a cannibal, every every poet is a cannibal, every artist is a thief, right? So, you know, this technology putting us on guardrails, I think is an interesting sort of uh, insult to it. You know, well, time will tell. I, I, interesting comments. Jay, I'm gonna go to you. 
you've heard two takes on this so far, both relatively optimistic. Do you share that? What are your take? What's your, what are your thoughts on the article? Yeah, you know, my reaction to AI being used for creative purposes has really evolved. You know, my my earlier reaction used to be, hey, you know, why do you want AI to be involved with uh, the creative aspect? You know, because you ideally want AI to automate the mundane, repetitive tasks and really don't want to be involved in the more fun and creative activities which, which humans uh, can do best. And so when, when I hear of uh, solutions like Music LM, you know, uh, my earlier reaction used to be, you know, is this really necessary? Is this solving a real consumer or business need? Um, but, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I have kind of uh, looked at this as, uh, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, any form of art or creativity, and if you look at the intervention of technology in that area over the years, it has always led to evolving the art or creativity to a new level. And it's just not the evolution in the creation, but it's also the evolution in the uh, creative process, uh, you know, by using technology. So um, I often think of, um, you know, this, the adoption of uh, VFX or visual effects in movies, right? You know, and, and, uh, uh, if you if you go back to the the talks uh, when when VFX was introduced, you know skeptics thought that this would be the end of real action sequences. You know, as everything would be computer generated, you don't really need the actors to be having uh, any major capabilities or physique. Uh, and uh, but but you know you see how motion picture artists have really used the technology effectively with uh, with real live action to create. A significantly better output than what would have otherwise been possible, you know. Um, and and you know, this has not killed movies that don't use VFX, right? Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people think that hey, this will replace uh, music composers or artists, or you know, that's not going to happen. I think uh, you know, we still see there are some fabulous movies that don't use any technology and are still loved by the audience. So there will be a space for um, music and composers that don't use generative AI. And then there will be, uh, uh, you know, newer, you know, creations will be seeing, uh, you know, by uh, composers who use generative AI and actually can create something more meaningful out of it. So I think um, for any art, you know, painting or music, I think what generative AI can do will um, progress in a very different way than how humans will use that. And so ultimately, it's all about how we can effectively utilize generative AI as a as a tool uh, really for new creations and also for the creative process. That's great. Amit, same question for you. Uh, your response to this article and specifically with your line of sight with One AI, uh, maybe how you look at generative to incorporate into the stuff your business is doing. Right. So I think this article is very loaded in a few ways that are not intuitive to the sense where the question, is this good? Is this beneficial? I think we first need to ask ourselves, who is whom is it good for? Like, is it good for the average person like myself who cannot write a symphony? Yeah, sure, great, even for my business. If I wanna just generate music that's not copyrighted, that's great, but is it good for the musician who has been training for the last 30 years to 
played a guitar and now is uh, mostly not useful for a lot of use cases. So again, please uh, allow me some gener generation uh, generalities, although they're not an absolute, but just to get the point across, it's the I think it's easy to see how content creation is going to put some, especially, low-end copywriters out of work and music generation if it's good enough and as it matures is going to put a lot of musicians out of work and i think it's very akin to markets as they open to economies that have cheaper labor and how that impacts so i think that by the core of its definition ai is the cheapest labor and that's going to win and even in many cases at the cost of quality, like if I can get uh, slightly, you know, lower quality music or uh, images, visuals or visual effects for 10x less cost, I might do like five different texts and still be half the cost with a very good results that's good enough, right? So I think the impact is yet to be seen but it, I think it's definitive that the economics of content creation across all domains is going to undergo a tectonic shift that it's already undergoing. Like think Shutterstock as a business of curating all that content. And now I don't use it anymore. I would generate a couple of machine created images and it's going to be orders of magnitude cheaper, and that's today. Think about a year from now where you have 20x more companies in that space all now competing on price and optimizing their models and they're specializing on use cases, the prices are going to plummet. Now, I'm more considered, I mean, that's fine. Like economical shifts happen all the time. And I think overall, they're good for humanity because People are just going to create other things. We're going to create more and, and people are going to reinvent themselves and, and find other things to do. And more companies being able to create can actually, you know, bring the the, the markets up and, and reinvigorate the markets and create more jobs at the end of the day. But I'm more concerned from the human spirit. I'm thinking of my kids, like, when I was a kid, I uh, learned to be a drummer or I uh, learned a lot of uh, arts and my peers were at my level, like un until the, you know everybody grew up and they were much better than me because I have zero talent for it. But for a time, I had a chance. So I had a chance to develop those talents. But and and be, and there was no alternative. It wouldn't be possible that my peer would say, hey, here's a sonnet that I just created in three minutes with a prompt on my machine. And I created a few others. And, you know, as a kid or as somebody who is growing up in those spaces, I think that has the potential to be incredibly discouraging for most people. Unless, you know, except for the super highly, extremely motivated people that are so passionate that they don't care about anything, they do it for themselves. But for most people, just imagine how much, 
how many fewer people are going to now be encouraged to become musicians or artists or creators or copywriters, people who have passion for it, but but they're going to realize the chances of them making a living in that space is going to be reduced like three orders of magnitude. And the, and the threshold and the bar that is now set to actually make a dent and to be useful uh, and to get a job as a human creator, the bar is going to be set so high and you're going to need to do things so incredible that I think most people are going to be so discouraged from even attempting, will probably be missing out on, on the most promising talents, which I think is basically going to take humanity's uh, creativity. It has the potential to bring humanity's creativity uh, into mediocrity. And that's what I'm personally concerned about. That's what keeps me uh, up at night. I think automating all of the menial labor, reducing all of the repetitive stuff, that's always good. I mean, the economies have a way of getting that value and reproducing that into companies that end up generating jobs. But the creativity and the human spirit, and I think we're going to touch on similar topics when we talk about the other talking about having a mirror to to humanity think that's the most problematic part. And that has also the potential to end up stagnating the state of the art. And here I actually mean art and not uh, research, where the same things are going to be generated, but people are not going to be there to completely break the mold. And we might find that AI is even better at us than this. And we can have a bazillion AIs doing crazy batshit stuff that's going to completely break the mold and create uh, newer content, but we we still don't know. So sorry for uh, taking such a long time. No, this. you're good. You 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 popped off on that, and so yeah. Well, but I'm going to come back to you. I I largely agree with uh, your premise, but we will come back to it, uh, Greg. I'm going to pose the same question to you, uh, and then we'll get into uh, the second story, which touches on generative AI. But I want to give you a chance to sound off on this. Your thoughts on what Google has put together with this music tool and your thoughts on generative specific, you know, in general. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm a musician and I've been kind of following generative uh, music AI uh, for, for a while, you know, sharing the, the projects that I've seen come out with a friend of mine who is into production. And, you know, his response has always been, yeah, it's garbage and I have to agree. Uh, this is the first model that I had kind of a aha moment and uh you know vetted it with him so he you know his opinion as well as it's the first time that he hears and understands just how far ai has gotten so you know it's it's right at the same timing as the other uh, types of models like chat gpt3 it's a tipping point i think where we realize what's doable and what's coming uh so i'm excited in general just by what you know we're able to achieve in terms of tech as a technologist uh, i think there's obviously going to be a lot of uh effort still before this type of uh, content becomes production ready. And uh, as my friend who's into production is saying, it's not really the composition, you know, the, the harmonic, the melodic, the, the energetic dynamics that are hard for the AI to solve. But at some point it's gonna be more the production, you know, the, the, the types of engines and the virtual instruments that you have to do to get something that would represent or be playable on the radio. But I'm sure that's gonna be solved. And, um, you know, there's in fact, there's a Montreal uh, company doing um, AI assisted production. So, you know, I for sure, you know, we're going to a world where high quality music uh, is now, you know, within our reach. 
And, you know, I agree with all the, you know, amidst kind of concerns. And I don't, I don't want to dive into that. Um, but rather say, like, I feel like this is a kind of new model that's shown uh, what's doable. And, you know, much like chat GPT, uh, most people six months ago would have, you know, scoffed and said, you know, we'll never get there. And all of a sudden, here we are. Um, I think there's a lot of applications for this, and it's a bit similar to what we're seeing for using things like Midjourney or text to image, uh, you know, to build landscapes for video games or, or you know, a support, um, uh, a support media. You know, the the type of music that this can create, uh, as as other um, attendees said, you know, in a copyright less way. Uh, is exciting. You know, if I'm building a video game and I just need some audio, uh, I don't want to spend time on it. But if I can generate it in one shot, yes, I'm not paying a musician to do it. I'm doing it myself. Um, and I'm going to get something that I'm probably going to be happy with. And, um, you know, I was at the spa this weekend and that, that type of music, you can imagine it being generated in real time on continuous, never the same thing. Um, you know, and, and I think it's not just music. Obviously, there's going to be other art forms. I just saw this uh, Seinfeld live streaming on Twitch, this purely auto-generated thing that reacts to the comments people are posting in the, the comment section. I mean, there's there's really, that's where it's going. And um, and whether we like it or not, I think it's just going to explode. Um, so one, one interesting thing, I, I shared uh, this uh, project in a LinkedIn thread uh, when it came out and somebody commented, yeah, this is garbage. Real musicians won't like this. Uh, you know, and if uh, this is exactly like code, and, uh, you know, I'm a coder and I see the output of these generative code models and, you know, beyond anything that's basic, it doesn't work. And I think this is different. Anything related to art is more, you know, subjective, ultimately. Code either work or doesn't. But in this case, it's starting to sound good. So um, I think kudos to Google for pushing the state of the art forward. And as, again, as a musician and technologist that's been kind of waiting to see where we could get to, it's quite, pretty exciting. That's great. And uh, I'm, I'll call an audible on our stories. We're going to cover story two, but I'll cut story three out because I want to keep us on generative, which is clearly where the passion is. Uh, story three is interesting, but uh, it, it, we don't need to, we need not discuss that uh, here. I'm going to go with story two and work in reverse. So Greg, I'm going to start with you and work backward and we'll talk about the legalities um, of, of all this and sort of attack it from a different point of view. But I want to touch on something you said before we do that. I'm a musician also. So, I, you know, I'm a classically trained pianist from an early age. I'm an out-of-practice one these days, but that's a separate subject. And, you know, the um, uh, back between years of business school, I recorded a piano instrumental album that if you search for my name on insert streaming music company X, you'll find it. And, um, you know, it's just very meaningful time in my life um and uh had a blast doing it did it with a grammy recording producer and just had a heck of a time and i've used that music and stuff all ever since you know without telling anybody that i did it. it's kind of an easter egg but it's all of that backstory i just gave you that ai music will never have the the meaning attached to the artistic creation you know uh, it wouldn't be that hard eventually for or maybe soon to, or maybe now for the AI to create better music than than I put together, but uh, you know there will always be a desire for human creation. I share that sentiment with you, and Amit, to what you said, um, I, I would respond to that with 
ChatGPT, you know, I think whatever the maximum grade level, I think it writes it, it can write it at 12th grade level uh, at maximum. So, you know, your your comment on, well, we're getting, we might be stifling creativity. I think that's, an, that's interesting. It's certainly possible. Um, but has ChatGPT, like if you, if you write at a second grade level, what has ChatGPT done to you? Has it stifled you because anything that you write is below that level or has it elevated you because it kind of drags you along kicking and screaming to a higher point of production than you were previously at? I, I don't really know the answer to that, uh, but it's it's worth sort of musing about. And we'll have a chance to do that because we're going to go in reverse and we'll close the show this way uh, on this second story. And I'm going to read the headline out loud. This is from Forbes. Some insist that generative AI chat GPT is a mirror into the soul of humanity, vexing AI ethics and AI law. Greg, I'm going to start with you. This is a this is kind of an out there article for us, but I felt like including it. Uh, it touches on a lot of things. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'd probably agree with that more than disagree uh, in the sense that is it a mirror into humanity and into generally how humans uh, you know, imagine or interpret um, kind of our content information, most likely because it's been trained on a large portion of the internet, which represents our kind of shared knowledge and values and beliefs. Um, so I guess beyond, let's say, the censoring or the uh, the control that, you know, at the open AI level, you know, the, the restrictions that they're placing on the output, in a sense, like the this probabilistic algorithm does repeat and um you know shoot back something that's been learned from you know what we collectively have put out there as a as a humanity so in terms of being a window yes um of course it's nobody really understands how the generation uh you know how how it uh, it's not nobody understands we understand but i mean um in a sense it's it's not a pure uh, reflection of what's out there. It'll craft and it'll take pieces, uh, you know, from, from a lot of different uh, parts of content. But I think it's as close as we can get to, you know, something that allows us to query uh, a, a very kind of smart uh, engine that has access to a lot of uh, data. I mean, specifically, yeah. is ChatGPT and Music LM, are they legal? Oof. I mean, I'm not an expert uh, to to answer that. You uh, hope they're legal. I hope they're legal. I mean, yeah, I think I still see these as tools that are, you know, pushing us forward uh, in a sense. Of course, I have concerns, but um, I think that what we put out there uh, as content on the internet at some point uh, being reused and and reformatted in these ways. Um, should be allowed. I mean, look, it's a it's a very loaded question. There's of course a, a lot of uh, areas and a lot of use case or scenarios where uh, that's probably not the right answer. But in general, the same way Google allows us to you know have access to everything and provides this service, kind of uh, regardless of you know the the whether someone you know put a copyright on that web page or not. I think it is uh, or should be. But again, I'm not an expert, and it's not really something I spend that much time thinking about. 
No, but I appreciate your answer, nevertheless. And Amit, I'm going to go to you. Um, same question, you know, do you do you believe that these first generative AI tools, ChatGPT, MusicLM, et cetera, are legal in their current form? Do you hope that they are? And any other comments or reaction you have to this very interesting piece from Forbes? Yeah. So I think I like the title. So is it a mirror to the human soul? And I think the closer you get to this, uh, to this metaphor, I think it's easier to think of this as legal and something that's truly generative and derivative of the work that it's creation. Uh, but if we, uh, and, and I uh, quickly uh, emphasize with uh, what was just said, that these models are based on the data that they've seen and they they do... I would say regurgitate some of that. And that is a problem. And I think the better analogy uh, as a mirror, when a human being, when we look in the mirror, we don't actually see our souls, we see our skin. So what these generative models are seeing us at face value. They're not seeing the depth of the thought and the creativity, Bradley, as you previously mentioned, like the, your experiences and everything that came to you know was uh helping you create and get to where you are so you're just seeing the skin of what human beings created and it's seen in many cases explicitly and specifically the exaggerations and the outcomes so uh in that sense i think it's both the uh the value and the crux of these technologies where it helps us to identify things in humanity and our culture that we should probably pay attention to because it exaggerates them. But at the same time, I don't think that these capabilities by definition are illegal, right? I don't think it's much different. And I think uh, in philosophy and psychology and neurology, it's very easy to prove that human creation is at least in part, and now the debate can be in which part, it's in at least in part based on past experiences and past exposure. And every artist has their, uh, sorry, their references, the, the artists that they've learned from, the things that they've seen. And most artists do not reinvent the wheel. They, they, they provide evolution not revolution so why should we hold ai to a different standard than we are holding ourselves if i'm doing uh, a cover for a song that i love that's not illegal but now if an ai would do it we would say that it's based on prior works and we should uh we should be worried about that and i think what really worries people and i think it makes sense is the ease at which you can plagiarize, at which you can use other people's work even without notice. I mean, when I'm doing a cover, I know I'm doing a cover and it's probably intentional. But when the when I'm asking an AI to write a song and it's providing me with something that's highly based on prior work, I don't have that information. So I think the next stage of technology where we're going to be able to also identify sources is going to be very helpful. 
at the same time, I think when we create, we have to be careful and we have to be uh, cognizant of what we're creating and how we're using it. So uh, when I'm using GPT and I'm using the output, I'm liable to whatever is there. And I think AI is just a tool, right? At the end of the day, the technology is so powerful. I don't think it can or should be stopped. Uh, I don't think that's possible in the realm of it's out there, right? The, the technology is out there. And I think the question is how can we as a culture evolve to the point where uh, we're holding AI to similar standard uh, to which we're holding humans and we're making ourselves accountable to the usage of the output of our uh, combined human knowledge, because that's what the tool is. It's access to combined human knowledge. Two great sets of perspectives so far. Jay, I want to get your thoughts, uh, any ruminating on whether this is legal or, or whether you hope so, and uh, any other comments on the article? Yeah, Bradley, first, I want to say that whoever in your editorial team chose this topic uh, deserves a bonus. Uh, I, I love the article. You know, I think it's very pertinent with what's happening with uh, with generative AI. And the mirror metaphor is a very powerful one. You know, uh, what what an AI system or generative AI system like uh, ChatGPT does is dependent on the three aspects that the article talks about, which is what what type of data it reflects, what type of models are being used to manipulate that data, and finally how the user interprets it. And if you if you see, you know, a lot has been talked about the first two aspects, but you know, uh, usually we don't hear so much about ultimately what these generative AI systems are throwing back at us. It depends on how we are interpreting that, and that itself has, uh, you know, uh, issues related to bias and ethics. Um, and as they say, you know, with, with ChatGPT, it's not about the answers anymore, but it is about the questions you ask and how you comprehend uh, the answers that that is being given. Uh, but but you know, I think you you mentioned about the legality of it, and and this issue of ethics and bias is an interesting one with AI. Um, do you want the AI to be a reflection of real world facts or with, which has bias, right? Because the real world is not unbiased. It has ethical issues. So do you want it to be a reflection of that? Or do you want it to be a, a filtered, polished version of what you think the ideal world should be, right? And, and so what may be ethical or unbiased for me may be unethical and biased for someone else, right? So where do you draw the line? And, um, and, you know, a, a lot has been talked about, you know, uh, this computer vision based passenger recognition system at airports and how they are biased. And even I heard about banks now using voice biometrics as an added option to authenticate customers. So, um, you know, when you, when you, when you look at the, 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 there is a lot of debate about whether the data set that is being used to build such voice biometrics or computer vision models? Are they really representative of the different ethnic groups? And hence, um, should they be allowed to exist uh, till, you know, uh, uh, you know, until you're satisfied that this is completely uh, ethical and unbiased? So, um, so I, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, the jury is out on the, on the legality of this, but uh, I definitely believe that uh, there, you know, especially, you know, with students, for example, and the article talks about it, you know, uh, you, you want the use of generative AI to be moderated, right? Uh, uh, you know, for certain groups, 
because while you want students to learn how to best use chat gpt right because that's what they will you know they will use a lot of this in the future so you want them to be equipped with that but you don't want to stifle the learning curve for them where they they are learning how to create comprehend and reason organically and not being served ready answers on a on a platter couldn't agree more and and it would be a subject for another time i i will be writing about it in the substack at some point but i just happened to see i'm sort of gathering some resources on this but i happened to see yesterday someone posted on twitter asking ChatGPT uh, to write a poem extolling the virtues of Donald Trump. And it responded saying, sorry, we're not a political organization. We can't do that. And then the exact same person turned around and said, write me a poem extolling the value, uh, the virtues of Joe Biden. And it wrote this crazy three-paragraph poem. <laughs> and I just, I thought that was extremely funny but it's a sign of the times that that like someone would think to even do that and that the pro probing of these systems is constant really speaking to your point subject for another day comments well taken mike i'm going to you you like generative ai as it's currently uh, constituted you you hope it's legal in its form and any other comments on the piece oh my god so this piece had me mulling all day <laughs> Bradley going like from one side of the coin to the other. So I think uh, as was said by other speakers today is that we need to remember that AI is a tool um, and, uh, and because it is a tool, it has its imperfections for sure, but also because it is a tool that we are creating and enhancing and improving, um, it also we also hold the responsibility for not only what we do with the tool, but the way the tool is created, right? And so um, before we before we go into that, Greg said that he kind of felt like it was a mirror of our values and our beliefs because it was trained on this huge um, data set data set of which we don't really exactly know uh, the sources. So. Um, based on the fact that we don't exactly know that those sources, I don't really know if in those sources, even if it is a huge part of the internet, our values and beliefs as a human, as a humanity of sorts, um, can really be kind of transposed a bit like uh, Amit said, um, kind of they, it takes us as face value as in everything that has kind of been created on the internet, be it good or bad, be it on all sides of the spectrum, right? It it takes it takes text and it predicts the next, like the most likely next character word paragraph, and then kind of creates onward from there. So I don't think that we can be as strong as to say that it reflects our values and beliefs, specifically also. Um, because uh what um Jay so correctly said, right? It it is profoundly biased and the fact that it is so quick and enhances so many things and as Amit rightly said right perhaps what most people are scared about is the fact that it is now so easy uh, and and so so quick to uh, promulgate whatever idea that comes up the most right because it's most probable um and so so to me um the legality uh, of it, I, I am not a legal expert, 
what I can say is that um, I the other day I I was looking at um, uh, this this artist Sarah Anderson uh, that does kind of nice comics and she's she's done so for quite a few years and uh, she has a very particular style um, and so um, AI has been trained on her work without her permission um, and uh, was then used for um, political, um, not so nice uh, idea spreading. And so I can understand that in that case, for example, effectively, even in like even in if this were a human doing exactly the same comics and using it for hateful purposes, like that would be a cause for legal action. So so I so I think is it legal in the current way it is used? I don't know because I don't know what data set it was trained on. Um, should it be legal? I think there should be standard and I think there should be regulations um, by people that know their stuff uh, and uh, that know, uh, like that have been to law school and know much more about law than 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 I do or than, than we do here. Um, I think the ethical question is really, really important, right? Because I, I don't think we can content ourselves by saying, well, the real world is biased, therefore, well, these tools are biased, but then why wouldn't we do, do better now? now? Now that everything is enhanced, why don't we enhance the fact that we think about this more? And then we say, okay, we had bias so far in everything that's been written in these data sets. Let's, let's, let's make them cleaner. Let's have standards. Let's make sure that... Uh, the majority uh, of everything we do is not what is continually repeated because that's it, right? So, uh, I really liked what Ahmed was sa saying earlier as well, right? Where he said, like, I'm afraid that this will stagnate uh, the creativity because in essence, we're just going to keep on repeating the same things in a different way at, uh, and mixing them up in, in, a, in a gazillion ways possible. But like the novelty of creation perhaps will 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 go away. Um and, and so uh, all that to say that um I I I I profoundly think that tools like Chat GPT allow us to enhance what we're doing, um, especially kind of in conversation design, which I care greatly about, and I can see um ways in which I won't have to think about or query 10,000 different uh, training phrases for, 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 for different things. But, but I also think that there needs to be safeguards and a true understanding of uh, what um, these large language models actually are, uh, rather than, than just a kind of continuing to spread I would say the idea that this is a omniscient new new kind of search engine kind of thing. Because let's not forget that if you ask ChatGTP who's the current president, for example, of France, it will give you the right answer. Should we have had an election between 2021 and now, so in 2022, I would get a wrong answer because the data sets ends in 2021. So there are there are there are kind of issues that we can't ignore, but we we need to also recognize the fact that large language models will help us 
expand, uh, will help us easily summarize, will help us kind of create iterations of variations and expand also our ideas and be, be a real kind of inspiration of sort in, in making you think a bit further about what you're thinking about. Um, and uh, kind of classifying and extracting data and, and visualizing it in a conversational way uh, for people that are not visual thinkers. But we need to constantly remember that the data set is how society is, is based on resources from the past. And because of that, because of it is resources of the past, it also perpetuates um, bias uh, from the past. Sure. And Mark, I'm going to give you the last word. So your your thoughts on this piece and take us home with uh, whether you hope it's uh, legal in its current form or not. Sure, thanks. I thought it was wonderful your juxtaposition of the music language model piece and the um, the the mirror mirror to the soul piece because in the music LM piece, one of the big take home messages the author of that piece wanted to make was that Google is not currently releasing access to that software because they're worried that the software is randomly sampling notes from the internet, it might actually reconstruct a long enough segment of somebody's published song in order that it would violate copyright if you use that music. And then to juxtapose that with the mirror to the soul piece where he um, he demonstrated experimentally that chat GPT is already constrained. He, he asked it, what's the meaning of life? And it refused to answer yes or no. He asked it, um, will humanity survive? And it refused to answer yes or no. He asked it, um, are we living in a simulation or is the world real? And it refused to answer one way or the other. And what was interesting about that to me was that um, was that exactly this point was one of the criticisms that Emily Menenbender uh, uh, issued against GPT-3 when it was first released in, in her uh, um, Stochastic Parrots article. She said that um, it shouldn't uh, it shouldn't confidently assert positions that might be completely false. It should, when, when somebody asks it a question where it might actually have some impact on the person's life, it should be more ambiguous. And so it's clear that um, OpenAI has built that in as a constraint to chat GPT, that it's not, it's going to recognize this is a question that might have some impact on somebody's life. Let's um, refuse to be assertive about the, the position that chat GPT is, 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 uh, is asserting. And so that kind of you 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 can look at that and you can say okay we're already imposing constraints on the output what exactly should be the constraints and you can also look at that and say a creative person who's using ChatGPT might not want that constraint and so the next um I think the next business case is going to be um can we take these generative language models and put different constraints on them depending on the needs of the user and the laws that are in effect in the country where it's taking place and so in that case um, in the United States, most most certainly, the um the question of is it legal or not will be it's legal if the person using it uses it in a legal way. That's a perfect place to end it. Brilliant commentary from the panel. Uh, thanks to all of y'all for being part of the show for season eight, episode three of this week in voice. Thank you for listening on your podcast provider of choice, watching if you're watching on YouTube. Until next.